0: Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. How are you with following rules? Me? I don't like rules. I tend to push against rules. That's why the conversation today, it's a hard one for me. I think this will be good for you. Rules, let's talk about them. So to kick off the conversation today, I just got a question for you. And it's how do you do with rules? do you do with rules? So some of us are real followers, some of us are not rule followers. A lot of times they marry each other. You see it a lot of times in, in, in homes and families. I had a bit of a flashback uh, this past week. I was invited to speak at my college's chapel and it was really fun, it was, it was fun to go back. I hated chapel as a student, I always tried to skip so it was just kind of weird to um, be up there. But I'll tell you though, the people that I never got along with in, in college were the uh, public safety officers. You know, the guys with the plastic badges, I just didn't do well with them. Um, I was constantly getting yelled at for just breaking some obscure, unnecessary rule. And plus, they had like, they had like a chip on their shoulder, you know, respect my authority. It was like those, those type of people. And so, so no joke, I, I walk onto campus um, last, last week, first person to greet me was, of course, a public safety officer, chewed me out for breaking some rule. I hadn't been on campus for more than two minutes, and I'm getting chewed out. Like, it's good to know things haven't changed around here, buddy. Like, picked up where we left off, Paul Blart. And, and to be candid with you, it, it did leave a, a bad taste in, in my mouth. You know, back on campus, enjoying the old stomping grounds, and, you know, just smacked across the face with, with some ridiculous rule. Not even so much as like a, hello, welcome, glad to have you here. I wonder how many people don't go to church because they're expecting to experience that. the same thing's going to happen. I'm going to walk in, and they're going to notice that I don't have a ring on my finger anymore. Once they, once they get to know me, they'll find out that my kid is older than my marriage. I haven't been to confessional. I don't want to see the priest. I haven't been to church in how many years? You know, surely public safety is going to throw me out. I, I don't even know the church dress code. What if they see me not put anything in the offering bucket? Like, I don't want to go back. I'm sure I'll unintentionally break some rule right when I walk in. It's a big barrier. Maybe that's a, that was a barrier that you had to get over. To come in here. I mean, seriously, there, there's a, a a lot of people struggle with, with God. This is a lot of people just struggle with God in general. And I think there's a lot of our struggle with God as churchgoers, a lot of our struggle with God is just, He's got a lot of rules. I mean, what he says about sex, what he says about money, what he says about how much we can drink, what he says about how we talk. There's just a lot of rules. And so what happens is our response to seeing God is like he's got all these rules, our response to that falls on this really weird spectrum. And some of us are on one side of the spectrum. Maybe this is you just going, i got to be good. I'm very concerned. I'm a rule follower. I got to do this, 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 and this. I got to get the A plus in church. I got to cross my T's. I got to dot my I's. I got to keep up with all these rules. It's a lot of guilt. A lot of religions have have been built on the backs of these type of people. And then there's people who are more over here. I like rules. It's a script. I'm going to sleep with who I want to sleep with. Uh, I'm going to talk the way I want to talk. It, it, it's, it's my life. It's my money. It's my body. I think most of us, though, find ourselves somewhere in between on this spectrum. You know, i got to follow the rules because I guess that's, like, the deal with God, but I'm not going to, like, freak out about it. So I'm going to manage the rules. I'm not going to, like, dot every I and cross every T, but, but I'm going to care, at least a little. You know, I'm going to pick and choose here. I'm going to manage God's rules. How much can I get away with without being this guy right here? See, most of us look at this spectrum right here, and we can put ourselves somewhere on the spectrum. And today, old John, Jesus' best friend, it's like he says, hey, wherever you you find yourself on the spectrum, wherever you place yourself on here, it sounds really miserable. Can we just rethink our whole approach to this idea? See, this could be life-changing. If you lean into it. First John five one through five is where we're at today. First John five one through five, it's page ten twenty three in the Bibles in the chairs. So if you didn't bring a Bible, you got Bibles uh, down there. Otherwise, we have phones, tablets, Bridge app has the Bible as well as notes in one spot, which is nice. First John five uh, one through five. I'll shoot straight with you. This is a difficult study of a sermon leading up into this message, mainly because it's just it's very it's a very black and white text today, and. Um, some of it seems almost like religious. It's a, it's a difficult wrestle, but it is it's one of my favorite approaches in that we're just taking a few verses here, diving deep in and, uh, and wrestling, and I'm excited to do this with you right now. Let me pray. We'll jump right in. Father, you, uh, you have something specific for each and every one of us today. You want to meet us where we're at. We're all at different places, and you know this. And you want to meet us where we're at. You have something to say to us, and you're going to say it. We don't want to miss it, because we so often do. And so, God, I ask that you eliminate all distractions, thoughts of what we got going on this afternoon, thoughts of what we got going on this week. Um, May you eliminate all distractions and really bring us into what you have to say, because what you have to say is very powerful. And so may we, may we lean into that. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The, the parchment shakes a bit as he slides it to his left. He puts his quill back in the ink jar and he stares at a blank canvas ready for more words. He scratches his beard trying to decide if he should take a break. See, what he's written so far it just doesn't feel done. Yet he's not quite sure how to continue. Is this what they call writer's block? And he's no trained writer. I mean, John is a trained fisherman, and he comes from a long line of trained fishermen. Learning this discipline of sitting down for hours in solitude like this, it doesn't come naturally to him. He picked this up from Jesus. And as he sits there in his chair, he's thinking, Man, Jesus was so good at getting away. For hours on end, he remembers waking up at camp to find that Jesus' tent is empty. Jesus had left hours before to go climb a hill and pray for hours. When he thinks about it, like, it is striking. Jesus was so disciplined. He was up often before the sun. He dined with drunks, yet never had too much to drink. Women flocked to him, never slept with any of them. He had all this power, yet he never abused it. He seemed to always leverage that power for other people. Like, There's just so much discipline in Jesus. And yet, even though Jesus was extremely disciplined, he wasn't like this rule-heavy prude freaking out about the rules. Like, on the contrary, Jesus was just fun to be around. Jesus broke a lot of unnecessary rules. What was Jesus's approach to rules? The whole spectrum, what was Jesus's approach? Maybe this is the thought that John fills this empty canvas with. John writes in verse one, he writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. It's so easy when we read, when we read the Bible, um, for some reason, we tend to wanna breeze past the very first verse in the chapter. It's just kind of natural to us to breeze right past it, especially with a verse like this, because it's kind of like, what, what, what are we talking about? We're we just stating the obvious here, John. But this is a very, very brilliant thought. John says, we're gonna talk about rules. We're gonna get to rules here, We're gonna start right here, relationship. I mean, notice, John points out, born of God. He's talking about family. This is how he starts. See, first and foremost, and maybe you know this, but you just need the reminder. First and foremost, more than rules for you, God wants a relationship with you. And that alone just, just blows up that whole spectrum that we find ourselves on. That doesn't mean there's no rules when it comes to God. Every relationship has rules. But this priority, this lens, really matters. I mean, there's a big difference between a uh, rule-driven di- rule parent and a relationship-driven parent. You know, you might have had a like a rule-driven parent growing up. You know, lots of lots of rules, lots of expectations, very little relationship, and so you never really felt like you were meeting those expectations or living up to what your parents wanted. John writes here. He's right. First and foremost, that's not our dad. Okay. This is one thing that um, Nicole's had to help me with. We've got little kids, and the thing with little kids is, is they're, they're messy and, and sticky, and, and they'll come up and they'll give you a hug, you know, which is so sweet, but, but after they run off, your clothes are like all sticky and, and, and chocolatey. And the goldfish crackers. Can I just say, I hate goldfish. We gotta find a way to like, cancel goldfish crackers. I clean Nicole's vehicle uh, every few weeks, and she's very clean, so like, the front seat's great. Get in the back, different story. Girls in the back, not so much clean. Like all those dang orange crumbs all over the place and the stupid goldfish crackers. Then you have like leftover uh, sucker sticks, you know, and the the cup holders, oh, cuts me deep. So a few years ago, uh, every time I would clean the car in the driveway, I would come into the house and first words out of my mouth were, all right, new rule, no more dang goldfish. New rule, no more suckers. New rule, keep your grubby little fingers off the glass. You go up to their you know, playroom to help them clean up their playroom, it's like, new rule, Barbie shoes stay super glued on the Barbie foot, because I'm sick of trying to find this match, girls. New rule, no slime, new rule, new rule, new rule, new rule. After a while, Nicole, she took me aside, she's like, can you just chill with your new rules? Like, first off, I don't think the girls remember all of them, and second off, you sound like a real happy dad. Like, she doesn't have to clean the goldfish crackers out, but she's right. And this is why John starts this conversation this way. We don't have a dad up in the sky shouting, new rule, new rule, 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 rule. No, we have a dad saying, relationship. That's what I want. I want a relationship, relationship. And that makes all the difference as we approach God. See, some of us have been coming to church for for years, grew up in the church. Maybe you find yourself in some sort of leadership role in the church, leading a small group or leading a ministry. And yet you still see God as like this keeper of the rules. And God says, can you just stop with that? First and foremost, I'm a giver. I'm a giver of relationship. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. So often, uh, we we, uh, parents in here, we... We really wanna train our kids well, right? We have the right intentions. We, I, I want my kids to be successful. I want my kids to love God. I want them to lead healthy lives. And we can think, that's gonna be done through a lot of rules, maybe. Or those of us who lead an office, or we lead a team, or lead a staff, we can think the same thing. You know, a good working office is going to have this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, and this rule, and they're going be clearly defined. Okay, maybe. But without the relationship, there's no motivation to follow said rules. They're just cold, hard rules inviting rebellion. It's the relationship that drives obedience. When I was in high school, I, I was hanging out with some classmates of mine. You know, we attended a, an extremely strict school. And my buddies, they came from extremely strict families. One of those families where it's like lots of rules, very little relationship. We were hanging out, we were talking about the idea of uh, sneaking out and going to an Eminem concert and then to a party afterwards. So not the place we should be. And, uh, so we're going back and forth and like, I'm on the fence about this. And, and my buddy asked, he's like, all right, we gotta make the decision, are you in? And I was like, no. Like, God, oh, what? You actually like the rule your parents have about that? It's like, no, I hate the rule. But I like the relationship. Like, I enjoy my parents, I have fun with them, I love laughing with them, I love that we can talk about anything. I don't wanna throw that away for some 45-minute concert. I don't have a problem breaking the rule, I hate the rule. But I do care about hurting the relationship. This is the point that John is making here. He's saying, we have a dad who wants that relationship. He's relational driven. He first and foremost is concerned about being close with you and enjoying you and you enjoying him. That matters most to him. That's why, that's why Jesus lived an extremely disciplined life. He took some rules very seriously. I mean, a lot of times we like to think of Jesus as being like this you know, like love spreading hippie. And in some ways, yeah, I, I guess he spread love. But if you were to go to listen to Jesus teach, he was strict, I mean, Jesus had a very strict view of marriage. He had a very strict view of divorce. I mean, there've been, there were times in his sermons where most of the crowd, a high percentage of the crowd would just walk off, walk away. He had a strict view of love. He had a strict view of giving. Jesus was strict. But more than that, he was very relational. And so people would, would, would go to his sermons and they would leave going, Jesus, that guy's strict. But I like him. I may not like his rules, but I like the relationship that he's offering me. John starts us off in a brilliant way in verse one. We're gonna talk about rules in verse two, three, four, five. But first, let me remind you of the relationship, the motivation to follow the rules that we're gonna talk about. I mean, we could just end with that, couldn't we? Some of our homes, some of our leadership, some of our offices, it would just look drastically different if we applied this verse. We're gonna be relational driven. We're gonna have rules. We're gonna be serious about the rules. But we're gonna lead with a relationship and we're gonna focus on the relationship. Because without that... There's no motivation to follow some cold hard rules. Just leads to rebellion. Only one verse we gotta keep going. By this we know that we love the children of God and we love and obey his commandments. So for the last few chapters, if you've been with us in the series, uh, John has been repeating this, this theme. He's saying, you're, you're not of God if you don't love the people of God. You're not of God if you don't love the people of God. You're not of God if you don't love the people of God. Now he's building on this. He's saying, here's how you know you love the people of God. You love God, keep his rules. Why is that connected? Like, I prove that I love you by doing what God says. kind of seems ridiculous to me. Uh, one thing that Nicole and I are working on with our girls is, uh, is manners at the dinner table. And, and the most difficult one is our, our four-year-old because she's four and she doesn't shut up and she's, she's fearless and she'll do anything to make her sisters laugh and win her sister's approval. And so the other night, we we were attempting to have like a a nice civilized dinner, Uh, shame on us, when Reese, she, she stood up on her chair, it's breaking the rule, you can't stand up on your chair, and then she knocks her cup over and spills her drink on the food. So her failure to follow the rule, gotta stay, keep your butt in the chair, her failure to follow that rule ruined dinner for the rest of the family. John is saying it works like this in God's family too. Our decisions, your decisions that you make this week and that you will make this week, whether they're financial decisions or drinking decisions or sex decisions or leadership decisions or parenting decisions, they don't just affect you. They actually affect the others at the table as well. Now, we don't like to think that way because we're so individualistic. At least I am. I like to think, you know, I got my relationship with God. You got your relationship with God. So you do your thing. I do my thing. We'll get along. It's kind of like libertarian theology right there. And John would say, yeah, it sounds great in theory. Problem with that, it's just not reality. So a decision to gossip doesn't just affect you. That spreads through the table like a disease. It divides us at the table. A decision to be selfish keeps the table from being able to do more. It hurts the table. A decision to be negative kills the mood at the table. A decision to have an affair puts a black eye on the table. A decision to not submit, it hurts the rest of the table. See, our decisions, every decision we have, and we don't think this way when when we're actually like, being tempted, but our decisions impact way more people than we like to think. I like putting it this way, I, I, I know a guy who um, started a ministry, and it was just him, he was working out of his garage, and then he was able to hire some staff, and then he was able to hire some more staff, and some more staff, it actually became quite this big organization, like hundreds of staff, this global ministry. And he would have this annual picnic with his staff, and at it, it, one of these uh, annual picnics, His son was walking into the picnic with him, and his son had said to him, he said, Dad, it's it's pretty crazy. It used to just be you in your garage. i like, look at this. Like, the whole park is filled with people. And his dad said back, I love this. His dad said, yeah, it's really cool. It's also a lot of responsibility on us, because if we screw up, like, let's say you drink too much at this picnic, and you drive off, and tomorrow's headline is you drinking and driving. All these families that you see having fun right now, their livelihoods would be put into jeopardy because of your decision. The kids running around and playing a game over here, they depend on us to live above reproach and by the rules, otherwise it affects what's on their dinner table. What we do, our decisions affect others at the table. That's a very healthy and heavy weight. And John is putting it as putting that on us here. It's the same with you and with me. The decisions we make, the places we go, the words that come out of our mouth, how we handle our anger, how we do relationships, it affects us at the table. John's saying right here, super obvious point, but point number one, John's saying it, so it's the point, obey God's rules. Just obey God's rules. Obey God's rules. I know, this is like elementary. It's like, Junior, you should be in Bridge Kids downstairs right now, you know, O-B-E-Y, obey always. I, I get it. I get it, but at the same time, how many of us, come on, come on, how many of us spend more time finding ways around rules than actually living them out? How many of us find more time talking about excusing why we don't keep a rule instead of just trying to do it? See, John is shooting straight, saying you can't say you love God if you're more focused on finding ways around what he says. Why don't you just do it? So I don't, like, Junior, this seems so elementary. Why are we talking about it? Because we suck at it. Like, in all seriousness, do you feel this, this healthy responsibility to God, before God, and to his church to do the right thing at every turn, no matter the feelings, no matter the difficulty, to care about, to know, and to obey God's rules? When we don't, what are we communicating? Well, John tells us what we're communicating in the next verse. For this is the love of God that we keep is. Commandments. It's a difficult translation. Essentially, John s- simply writes, "You want to tell God that you love Him, t- just do what He says." So Jesus, that's what Jesus. If you, uh, if you read the Bridge Reading program, we read this yesterday when Jesus said, "If you love Me, keep My commandments." If you don't show Me love, you love Me; just keep My commandments. Growing up, there was uh, there was a woman at her at our church, not this church, up in Wisconsin where I grew up. Uh, she had this uh, she had this reputation for being the the church gossip. She could cut you up real good. Very critical, like especially if anything like the church the church did that she didn't like. She always had to like voice her opinion, be gossipy and, and critical. And her husband was just whipped. I mean, she would just get all kinds of nasty if she didn't get her way, and her husband would do her bidding for her. But during worship on the weekends, she was always like up in the front, hands raised, like weeping during worship. And I'm not saying like her her worship wasn't true or feelings or or whatever, I'm I'm in no place to judge, but I I will tell you, in my own sin, I get this, this is in my own sin, my own judgmental sin, as a kid, I do remember on the weekends thinking, man, you are so passionate about telling God you love him, which is great, but you just cut up all these people during this week. Why don't you tell God you love him by just stopping nasty and obey? And again, I know that's my own judgmental sin because we're all there, At some level, most of us have this desire to show our love to God. We wanna tell God we love him, but but we we don't wanna do something that God is asking us to do. There is something that God is convicting you to do. There's something that God has asked you to do. There's something that God is leading you to do. And you're not doing it. I don't wanna submit. I don't wanna forgive. I don't want to serve that person. I don't want to leave my comfort zone. I don't want to give. I don't want to confess. I don't want to lead. I still love God, but, and John would say, but but do you? I can't answer that for you. But our love is proved through our actions, and I know that sounds so religious. I get it. But take it up with John. He's the one writing this. Think about it. Like if if today, after church, I go home, and uh, my, my wife's at work right now, but when she gets home, so she gets home and I pop down on the couch. I don't help with dinner. You know, she makes dinner. I don't help with cleanup. I just go back and sit down on the couch and sit there while Nicole does the dishes and bathes the kids and gets them ready for bed. And if at the end of the day I hop in bed and go, love you. Some of you women, you just cringed right there, didn't you? Like, oh, I slap you. I would deserve it. Like, that, that's, that's, those are some cheap words. They're, they're offensive. But my serving her, taking an interest in her and learning her, what she likes, what she doesn't like, loading the dishwasher the way she wants, which makes no sense to me because if the bowls fit next to the cups, it fits. (laughs) But if I'm learning her and I'm trying to understand her and I'm taking an interest in her and I'm serving her and I'm listening to her and I'm doing what she likes, all of that makes the I love you mean so much more. In the same way, our obedience to God throughout the week gives value and weight to our raised hands in worship. Makes it all the more meaningful. In a way, the way we live our lives during the week is all in preparation for Sunday when we lift our hands. Now, I'm not saying like, you can't worship God unless you're perfect, because none of us would be able to worship God. But our obedience gives power to how we express our love to God and worship. John continues. He says something really interesting. Look at this. He says, in his commands, we're kind of getting a little bit deeper here. I love this. He says, in his commands, they're not burdensome. In other words, God isn't some Paul Blart running around campus trying to dock you for some unnecessary thing. His rules aren't lame. They're not cruel. There's a point to them. There's a reason. There's a benefit. I find it fascinating that the, uh, the root word for rule in Greek is, uh, is trellis. And I have a trellis up here. I don't know if you know what a trellis is. But you stick one of these in your... In your garden as you're planting plants, and plants grow up the trellis. Um, they, they grow taller and stronger. The, the trellis actually guards them from the weeds. But without a trellis, a, a plant can grow sideways. A plant can get easily tangled in the weeds. A plant can fall over. A plant can die. Like a trellis is a benefit to the plants. I was reading a, a, a gardening blog this week. Only for the sermon, that's it but the gardening blog had talked about how plants, they actually, they grow, they grow like up to three to four times taller if they're next to a trellis, if they embrace the trellis. A plant lives far longer if it embraces the trellis and plants that are supposed to bud or or, uh, produce fruit produce like way more fruit, way more more budding if they embrace the trellis. This is what John is getting at in this verse. He's saying God's rules are a trellis. Now, I, I get it, I get it. If you grew up, religious you might say yeah but it seems like god's rules are like a cage this trellis yeah many people have taken the trellis and made it into a cage this is why jesus battled the legalists over and over and over they they took the trellis and they made it into a cage to hold people captive it's kind of like observing the sabbath you know we talk about this a lot but, but there are there's a huge benefit to observing the sabbath data backs this up you are far more productive you're far more creative you're far more efficient there's far more um, camaraderie so to speak in the family if you take one day a week to rest and worship. That's a trellis in scripture. That helps you grow as a person, as a family, as a household. Now, the religious leaders during Jesus' time, they they took the trellis and they made it into a cage and they ran around like public safety officers counting everybody's steps. You You can't step that more than that many steps. Well, that's a cage. But God's rules, observed and viewed correctly, well, they're a trellis. They're a benefit to you. Following God's rules and what we consume, like too much food or unhealthy food, or too much alcohol. Well, that's a trellis, right? That helps you grow physically and also mentally. Following God's commands in money, in sex, in work, it's all a benefit to your life. It's a a trellis. It helps you grow closer to God and grow in the eyes of others. This is exactly why King David in Psalm 119, he said, man, I love your precepts. I love your rules. I remember reading this when I was a kid and I thought, what Oh." What a teacher's pet. Who says I love your rules? Someone who sees God's commands for what they are, a trellis that helps you be better, do better, and get better. I think about it, when I was 14, I got my first job at this family-owned grocery store in town. My first job, I was, I was I stock shelves. I made 5 15 an hour is what I started out as. And then I got this big promotion to be a cashier, 10-cent raise, $5.25 an hour. I know, I was a dangerous man with money in my pocket. Um, I worked, I worked, actually, I worked a lot for a 14-year-old because I had no life. I really wasn't a dangerous man. But the, uh, but the paychecks, were, they were nice for a 14-year-old. Problem was my parents set these rules because they're jerks. They, they, they said uh, when I got a paycheck, I had to give 10% of it to, um, you know, give 10% because that's what the Bible tells me to do. And then the other rule was I had to take 40% and put it into a bank account at the bank that my mom worked at. I hated that. I didn't see 50% of my paychecks. Hated that rule until I turned 16. Found a car I wanted to buy. It was a, a 91 Plymouth Laser, twin turbo, burned oil, but it had flip-up lights. It was sweet. I wanted that car so bad. A thousand bucks, though. Couldn't, couldn't afford that. Figured there's no way. Until my dad said, well, why don't you check that account? What account? Oh yeah, that, that stupid account you had me keep on putting money into? I look at the balance, like, oh my goodness, I have enough to buy the car. Well, suddenly I really, really, really liked my parents' rule of saving 40%. In fact, I still appreciate that because it taught me how to save and the benefits of, of putting money away. This is, this is why David landed right here. This is why John is writing what he's writing. They're not burdensome. Because when I look at my life, this is what David and Jonathan, when I look back at my life, man, I love your rules. They're, they're a trellis. Compared to the people who don't have the trellis versus I who has the trellis, man, I love your trellis. They're not burdensome. Verse two, or not verse two, but point number two, don't just obey God's rules, love God's rules. Don't just obey them, love them. You might be thinking, Junior, you did get lazy, man. Point number one and point number two are basically the same. No, they're not. Point number one without point number two is just bad religion. There's a big difference between obeying a rule and leaning into a rule and understanding the rule and, and seeing the benefits of the rule and loving the rule and championing the rule the best version of you is living within God's rules. It is to your strength, it is to your health, it is to your advantage, it is to your success to lean in and embrace the trellis. It's a trellis. It's not a cage. It's there for your benefit to be better, stronger, healthier, and move in the right direction. So having said all that, can you honestly say, can you honestly say what David said earlier? Can you say what John is saying here? Man, they're not burdensome. I love God's rules. I love God's rules. Or are they something you manage Play. Now talk play. I want to talk about God's rule keeper. Kind of embarrassed about that. Find ways around his rules. Ignore his rules. And God says, hey, I don't want you to just obey him. I want you to love him. I want you to embrace the trellis. and love the rules. Verse four. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. I love this picture. This is so powerful. To lean into the trellis, overcome the world. Grow above it. The plants that embrace the trellis end up growing above the weeds. They're taller, they're stronger, they live longer. It's the same with a person. A person who embraces God's trellis, what he's asked you to do, you lean into all of that. People like that end up growing above the weeds, the noise, and the chaos of this world. John's point, point number three is live above the world. I should have changed it. I should have changed it, just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. It's really what he's saying. He's saying, find the trellis, know the trellis, embrace the trellis, grow up the trellis, enjoy the ride up the trellis. But one of the rules that, that we have for our kids is uh, they make their beds in the morning. It's just a Ziggler family rule. It might not be your rule in your house. That's fine. I'm judging you, but I wouldn't tell you that. And so each, each morning, um, each morning, girls got to make their bed and, uh, and they gotta make it good. Like, don't give me the sloppy stuff. You gotta make the, the bed good. And the reason is, is I'm a big believer in, in the idea that um, how you start the first five minutes of your day really sets your day up for what you're gonna do. You ever experience this? Like you get up and you're just like scrolling on your phone, buying stuff on Amazon you don't need, eating an unhealthy breakfast. After like an hour, you're just like, I, I just honestly feel like total crap. And that, that snowballs your day into that. You know, you're gonna, now you're gonna make more unhealthy, time-wasting decisions throughout the day. Whereas if the first thing you do is accomplish something, I'm gonna make my bed, okay, I'm gonna unload the dishwasher, like, okay, now, now we're attacking in the morning and it sets the tone for the rest of the day. And so we have this bed-making rule. Uh, the girls wake up, they accomplish the first thing well, make the bed, and that'll hopefully snowball their day. I, I really believe they will be better because of this rule. Often what happens, though, happened this morning. I have them go make their bed. Girls, go make your bed. And you get this, oh, oh. you yeah, know, dad's honest while making the bed. He's always telling us to make the bed. He's so lame. I don't have the bed-making rule for my sake. It, it, it's for theirs. So they can feel that accomplishment in the morning, so that they can start the day off well. It's, it's for their success. John is saying, that's our dad's approach. God's saying, I, I don't have these rules for myself. I don't need rules to make me look better. I'm not up here trying to cramp your wild sex life. I'm trying to give you a better intimacy. I'm not up here trying to squash your shopping sprees. I'm trying to give you financial peace. I don't have these rules to make me look better. I have these rules because this is how you navigate this crazy world and live above the chaos. I'm giving you a trellis for your life and if you neglect the trellis, you neglect what I've asked you to do, it'll keep you from who you ultimately want to be because who you want to be is up the trellis. One of my favorite uh, songs is, is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I'm an old soul, I'm, I like hymns, and uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus is, is so good. Uh, Helen Lemel, this is Helen Lemel. You know, for a, a picture from the 1920s, she's pretty cute, I gotta say. I told my wife, that, listen, she's dead, so I can I sound like I'm hitting on her. It's just like, a lot of times you look at pictures from the 20s, like, People look like that back then. She's like, no, oh, sorry right. She went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I wonder if she ran into the public safety officers too. She, uh, she, penned, she penned the words to this song. And, uh, and one of my favorite lines from this song, it's a, it's, a, it's a line that just sticks in my head and I just want to keep in my head. I love this line. It's, the things of verse will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love that thought because it's so refreshing. You ever find yourself wishing to care less about just what's around you? I wish I cared less about politics. I wish I cared less about the rat race. I wish I cared less about who's with who and who's doing what and who's friends with who. I just wish I cared less. Ever find yourself saying, "I I just wish... I wish you cared less about it all. Really, what you're saying is, I wish the things of earth would grow strangely dim. And John would say, well, that happens on the trellis. That happens inside God's precepts, that as you grow and you gain strength, spiritual strength and mental strength, you get stronger and you get better and you're going in the right direction. And suddenly, now you're above the chaos of this world. Your head is clear, your home life is healthier, and you have this sense of direction because you got a trellis now. And soon you find yourself above the craze of this world, transcending the the chaos and competition and misery further and further above it all and closer and closer to the light of his glory and grace. And that doesn't just come through trying to obey all the rules or managing the rules. It comes from leaning into the relationship, embracing the trellis, loving the precepts and enjoying the ride. Where are you at with all this? How are you doing with God's trellis? Are his, are his laws, what he says in scripture, are they something that you just kind of manage? You pick and choose? You know, I'll do this, but no, 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 there's a little gray over here. Or do you see God's laws? As not, I want to lean into those. Or I really want to lean into that. I think a lot of us really struggle to believe that the person you ultimately want to be, successful person, healthy person, is up to trellis, living by God's rules. I think we struggle to really accept that. And I get it. I'll tell you my struggle, and just in making this sermon, is just like, Ryan's like, what do we do? Like the application is follow the rules. Like, yeah, all right, I guess that's the application. But then again, I mean, you boil it down. God is asking you to do something. He's been asking you to do something, and you're not doing it. There's something, right? And you know what it is. Came to mind earlier. There's that part of the trellis that you're not embracing. God has been convicting you of it. He's been leading you to it. He's been preparing you for this. He's calling you to do it, and you know it. It might be leading and you just don't want to do it. It might be loving that person. It might be giving. It might be serving. It might be going somewhere. It might be confessing something. It might be sacrificing. But there is something that God has been convicting you of. And maybe it's been decades of him convicting you of this. A part of the trellis that he's been calling you to. And you're just like, I can't do it. What is it for you? That's the question. What's it for you? Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings.